welcome to TA1. Everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson. And yes, Voopy the Bird is with me today. So we are going back to God's Zone today. Uh, throwback Wednesday. Anyway, one of the uh, episodes we've been waiting on because I was fortunate enough to have a lot of people... Um, Agree to be on the podcast right after um, God's Own and XPD. So we are catching up with those and um, doing more. So we're keeping after it. Let's see. Weather's nice here. I think it's spring. Not quite nice enough to put Boopy the Bird outside, but um, I guess we'll live with it. So. That's it. Don't have much to say. We'll get this episode rolling. I really should probably like tell jokes or sing songs or something like that, but you don't want to hear that. So go fast, take chances, and uh, train hard. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hello. Tane, it must be you. Uh, yep. It's actually Tane. Tane? Yep, that's how you pronounce it. Well, see, I've learned something already today. (laughs) That's right. You pronounce it as if there's two A's, essentially. Well, I apologize for being an idiot, but hey, that's the way I I am. (laughs) No, no. It's a um, a Maori name, so it's sort of a New Zealand name, I guess. So, um, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it looks cool. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, w- way more interesting than Randy. <laughs> so, but um, okay. So now that we know who, you, what your name is, who are you? Oh, who am I? Um, well, my name is Tane Cambridge. Um, yeah, I am. Oh, it's <laughs> just about my birthday, actually. So I'm almost thirty-three, I think. Um, and I'm based in Christchurch, um, sort of grew up in Wanaka and then moved to Dunedin and, um, got into orienteering, did lots of orienteering for uh, quite a few years and sort of still involved in that quite a bit. And yeah, eventually got into adventure racing and now I do a whole lot of adventure racing along with everything else. And I'm a, um, I'm yet another engineer that does adventure racing and orienteering. So I work for a company called Enphase Energy, um, which is an American-based company, actually. And I think they're based out of Petaluma. And we have a New Zealand office, and I work here as a mechanical test engineer. So basically I spend the day breaking things. Well, that sounds like a kind of a cool job. So, all right, actually I want to start there. And we'll give a shout out to my friend Eric Concanon, who's he works in um, solar energy, so he'll get into this. What what do you break? How do you break it? <laughs> um, well, mostly I've I've been here just over about a year now, so I've mostly been involved in the cabling system, so that we make micro inverters for solar panels and um, all the sort of control systems that go behind the solar panels. So, yeah, um, I've been doing mechanical tests on the cables. So I stick them in the freezer and freeze them and 
then we stick them in the oven and cook them and drop them on the ground and stick them in water and you know, we've got a test rig outside where we it's a, it simulates the rain um, fall and yeah, test for water ingress and yeah, basically try our best to see if we can um, break it. Um, but hopefully the design engineers have done a good enough job and they've designed it well enough that I don't break it. So, is your are you is your job successful when you break it or when you don't break it? Oh, it's a tough question. It creates a lot more work when I do break it. So it's best when it doesn't break, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you don't want to work yourself out of a job. That's right. So. <laughs> um, yeah. What? Okay. Is so? Okay. You think of cables as a cable? Electricity runs through it. What? What is the limit of technology on a cable? I mean, it would seem like you'd get to a certain point, and that's as good as it would be. But you know, nobody needed a computer twenty years ago either. So. <laughs> you didn't think we'd be talking about this, did you? Uh, well, not really, but <laughs> um, yeah, I, could, I definitely understand the question. Um, I've had that question myself. <laughs> um, basically, every time we've created a new version of um, Inverter, um, we've had to sort of custom design the, the cable to to match up with it because you've got your AC inputs and your DC um, or I think it's no AC outputs and DC inputs mm-hmm. sorry um, so yeah some of them are standard and some of them aren't and yeah there's a, a lot to um, and then it depends on the requirements as well like some people if it's going to be up on the roof then you want it to be waterproof so we've got to design it to make it waterproof and yeah, you'd think it would be a lot easier if they had a standard system, but yeah. it seems that everyone just does their own thing and um, follows the standard, obviously, to, to create the cables. But, yeah. yeah, we were, I guess, mostly interested in the connector side of the cable. The cables are pretty standard. Okay. Well, okay, that makes sense because, yeah, you're always – anybody that has an iPhone, right, broke their connector. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Everyone's doing their best to do my job for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that's 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 enough of of testing until I think of something else. Um, so, you know, you went over kind of your background. It sounds like you know the basic New Zealand, you just normal kid that does everything. <laughs> that kind of right. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I guess growing up in New Zealand, you always want to be like an All Black, or a, well, you know, play rugby for New Zealand, mm-hmm. or play cricket. So I always wanted to play cricket or rugby for New Zealand, and then I realised that I was a bit too small for rugby, and yeah, decided that running might be more down my alley, and I seemed to be all right at orienteering, so I gave that a bit of a crack. Yeah. So are you one of those guys that? Um I mean, did your family do the orienteering, get you out started earlier, or did you pick it up a little later? Um, well, we were sort of growing up, we were based in Wanaka. Dad was a ski patroller back in the day, and then he did all sorts of odd jobs until he decided to go back to university. And we moved. So we did a lot of skiing and a lot of sort of tramping and that sort of thing 
you know, the typical, oh, lots of mountain biking and stuff as kids. And then, we, yeah, we moved to Dunedin when he went back to university. And um, we, I sort of got into orienteering. Um, I, I had a go at it in Wanaka at school there. And then I was pretty good. I, I won. And then I won, like, the sort of... Um, regional champions um, against kids that were older than me. So once we got to Dunedin, I thought, oh, we'll better try and do this a bit more seriously because Dunedin's a bit of a bigger city. Mm. So, um, yeah, then I got into orienteering and then gradually the family got involved as well. So, yeah, it was probably me that got our family into it That's in the first place. Yeah, kind of backwards. Um, all right, I gotta ask. I got to ask you this because I got to ask. Your dad ever tell you any really good stories about being a ski patroller? Because I, you know, I've seen the movies. <laughs> um, or are you not old enough yet? <laughs> yeah, not too many stories about ski patrolling. He also did a lot of mountain climbing and stuff, and he did have a good story. He was in part of the Cliff Rescue team in Wanaka and did have a story about rescuing a sheepdog off a ledge down a... Um, uh, a gorge somewhere. <laughs> the sheepdog had <laughs> fell off the gorge, and he had to abseil down and pick up the sheepdog. And the farmer was pretty happy when he got the sheepdog back because it was his prized sheepdog, and he was yeah, they're yeah. worth a lot of money. <laughs> well, you know what? He rescued a dog. That's uh, that gives you a, a lot of karma points, as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. 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 So. Um, I mean, for you, was adventure racing just just the natural progression? I mean, I you know I I like to generalize about the Kiwis, and yeah, you all you all have to end up doing an adventure race someday. Yeah, it sounds a bit like it. <laughs> um, yeah, like I guess in Wanaka, even before I knew about orienteering, I. Um, I'd seen the Southern Traverse that had come through Wanaka and we were going to go down and watch them paddle across the lake at school, I remember, but it was too windy and they cancelled the paddle or something, I think, from memory. But, um, yeah, so I've always been kind of aware of adventure racing and I really got quite enthusiastic about it um, once I knew that there were some orienteers that I, I knew that got into it, like Aaron Prince and... And then, yeah, Chris Fulton later and, yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, it was, I guess it's natural progression going from orienteering to multi-sport to adventure racing. Yeah. Did you uh, make that stop? Have you done coast to coast? Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done two coast to coasts. So yeah. I did the last year of Robin Judkins when he was a race director in 2014. And then did it two years ago now. In 2016. So. Yeah. Um, which, I think I've asked this of other people, but which um, which is a bigger deal to the average New Zealander? If you say I've done God's Own or I've done Coast to Coast, which which do they uh, think is, is the cooler of the two? Just the average population? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Undoubtedly, coast to coast, they'll just ask you straight. Everyone that knows you sort of into a little bit of sport or 
at, at the sort of higher levels, they say, oh, have you done coast to coast? So, <laughs> you know, I think coast to coast. But but God Zone's becoming more well-known now, yeah. I think, in New Zealand as well. Um, sort of adventure racing fell off the radar a little bit when the Southern Traverse stopped. and Yeah, and then now God Zone started and it's gradually getting back into the people's minds, I guess. Yeah. So how many God Zones have you done? Uh, I'm up to four now. Yeah. yeah, and um, what what have you seen? What are the changes you've seen since you started? Uh, it's got it's so much bigger. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think they've kind of settled in. It feels like they've settled into a bit of a, a format now, where they're playing around with a few ideas and things. But yeah, now they seem to have a, quite a set formula and. It's really good that having that logistics planner coming out beforehand so you can plan. Because the first time I did it, it was the day before, and you spend all day packing and stressing out. And then, yeah. 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 I think that's, that's yeah, one of the great inventions of uh, adventure racing is giving you guys that. Because, well, from my point of view, from a media point of view, it is kind of fun to watch you, everybody freak out the day before. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you, you guys don't need that. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> so, um, um, okay, tell me about your race because I read the write-up. And um, do, you, do you have a background in writing? Because it was very, very compelling reading as far as I'm concerned. Oh, thank you. Uh, not really. I guess I write a lot of test reports. That's <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you've got to be precise then, and I, I can, I can, you know, when I think about that, it's like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of, I, I quite enjoy writing it, and I have to admit, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I quite like trying to make it interest, sound interesting too, not too boring, but yeah. yeah. So, what were you guys? What were your expectations going into the race as a team? Um, so we went with the same team more up back at the start of um, when the entries came out. We sort of thought, oh, yep, we did quite a good race um, in Queenstown and we all enjoyed racing together. So we sort of raced together again and we were quite keen, did the world champs together as well, which was good. Good. The first time I'd done a race with the same people again. Um, which was a bit of a novelty, so it was all very easy to just do it all again. But then Isla, she um, got a bit injured beforehand, and we knew she had been injured for a while, and then it wasn't too much of a surprise when she pulled out, so we um, managed to get a former former weasel to come back in, mm-hmm. um, and we got Anna Barrett down from the North Island. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Because we we didn't really have the same sort of team vibe kind of going into it. The other um, Mitch and Stu were feeling probably a bit sort of like, oh, we're a bit tired from doing a bit of racing. And I was the same. And Anna's done quite a bit of racing this year, uh, in the past 12 months. Mm. So I think we, we, were, we were confident that we would do okay. Yeah. And we were quite happy to, you know, just sort of make sure we got around the course. Um, so we were sort of expecting sort of top 10 and if, if we were feeling good, like top five. So, so yeah. Yeah. So 
All right, just tell me about the race. <laughs> and when I have a question, I'll ask you, but nobody wants to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I, I think as the race started, it, it was it started quite fast. Like Everyone always starts really fast in these adventure races. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. So we we had a sort of mid pack sort of start I guess and or middle top um, and we were off paddling down the lake and it all seemed like hard work um, and we felt I kind of felt like we were quite quite back from the main field they were, they they got away quite quickly um, but it, it sort of all came a bit nicer when. Um, when we got the, the off the lake and then into the river and started to pick up some places and then onto the next lake, Lake Manapuri, and um, then I think we we did we started to sort of come into our own a bit there and um, started making progress up the field and and then came the um, the bush. So <laughs> that's basically where I thought, well, this is where my job's about to start as the navigator mm. so yep it was sort of off the track and into the bush and it was all a bit scary really for a minute or two <laughs> but sort of just had to be confident in the compass and just um, push our way through and eventually we got to an opening and got the checkpoint and starting to feel good about things mm. um, and then we came across I think it was Bend Racing and um, Ataraxia um, and we were with them for a while, got the next checkpoint, and then they sort of slipped away as we were sort of mucking around at the checkpoint. And um, I took a very poor compass bearing. <laughs> we ended up doing a bit of um, a few laps around uh, the swamp <laughs> off in the wrong direction, which was not too um, fun. <laughs> and... We got to a track, and I thought, oh, no, what do I do now? Do I go left or do I go right? I'm not exactly sure where I am. Um, let's go to the left. I think it should be the right direction, but I'm not sure. And, yeah, unfortunately, it was the wrong direction. It almost looked like we were going on a different route choice, and a few people speculated that we might have gone for a different route choice. <laughs> but, unfortunately, I had to turn around and we started running our way back up through the field. So I think we went from about 4th or 5th to about 30th or something. <laughs> but um, So that night we sort of worked hard to, to get back um, some of that ground that we sort of lost and, and in some ways maybe went a little bit too hard um, in hindsight now knowing that we hit that dark zone. Um, so we're at the dark zone, so there was two rivers we had to paddle with a short portage um, and the second river was dark zone but we could paddle the first however we decided that well rather than get in all our wet gear and then have to pitch the tent and or get out of our wet gear again after the first river and pitch the tent and all that rubbish we decided we'll do it beforehand um, and just get up earlier and paddle in the dark on the first river and then in the light in the next river, yeah. and that was all pretty uneventful. Oh, the first river was actually a little bit scary in the dark, and Mitch and I managed to come a cropper in a, in a tree that was sort of 
um, at the edge of the river there and had a good dip and a good wash. Um, <laughs> a yeah. little wake up. <laughs> a little wake up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I got a couple of questions. You went right over. Yep. So, you know, everybody talks about the bush, going through the bush and going through the swamp. What is – what – what does the bush look like? I mean, describe what it really is. I mean, I think, you know, everybody probably has a different idea, but what was it and what did it take to get through it? Yeah, so the, I guess there was various types of bush, but mostly it was quite thick. So um, I guess you can imagine the trees are all covered in moss, I guess. Um, sort of everyone describes it as sort of Lord of the Rings kind of terrain. Um but the trees are all sort of quite bent and quite um, close together and, yeah, lots of green moss and it's quite dark in there. that You can't see through the canopy. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a rainforest, I guess. Okay. Um, and the undergrowth in places, the, there's ferns, which are uh, sort of a couple of metres high and sort of waist high in some areas. And a lot of the time you're walking through it, you can't... Um, see below your waist um and which is particularly annoying if there's sort of a branch lying across the ground and you smash your shins into it um and the the biggest thing i noticed in fieldland and in the um, forest was that the water was is quite um black kind of like really dark tea colored from the um the beach um forest Mm -hmm. yeah it was it's quite different to, to some of the other parts of New Zealand bush. So, well, I mean, yeah, that's great because I I can picture it now in my mind that it looked like it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it did it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's quite nice, but yes, it definitely sucked in a few places. Yeah. And there was off it was often sort of ankle deep mud um, as well. Like it's quite wet underfoot. Um, yeah sort of swampy kind of mud. Yeah. When you're in in a situation like that, do you think, man, I want this to be over, or do you just, you know, or like suck it up and it's like it'll be over when it's over, or do you even think about it and just keep moving? Um, definitely both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Oh, it sucks. I just want to go home. Um, and then, yeah. Just keep moving, and it'll be over one day. One day you'll get to the finish <laughs> eventually. So, but um, yeah. once you're done, you're sort of like, oh, I wish I was back out there rather than sitting at this desk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you got to swim during the paddle. So now, where are we going? After we paddle, what do we do? Um, so I was onto some bikes, which was quite nice. We the sun came out and we got to dry out a bit and we did a bit of caving which was a bit of a weird experience because um, we had turned up in the paddock and there was a two hour stand down for the, the um, caving so that mm-hmm. there was no rushing because it was quite slippery in the cave and yeah. they didn't want the cave damaged and, and all that so we had it, it took about an hour to get through the cave which was it was quite cool um, I have really sort of been in a cave like that in New Zealand before. So, yeah, it was quite interesting. Was it, um, you know, tight, crawly, or just more open? or? Um, it was 
reasonably open, but some of the um, checkpoints were in some crawly spaces. So mm. I sent um, Stu to crawl in there, and yeah, while well, I stood outside. Send <laughs> <laughs> send the little person. Oh, he's the big one. He's the big oh. weasel. You make the big weasel go. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I guess if he can get through, then everybody can get through. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, um, well, I, I, that's kind of cool. I mean, I like the way they do that when they cave. You, yeah, you just you have a yeah two hours, and so don't you don't have to hurry. So. Yeah, it was quite relaxing. Everyone was sort of there. It was almost like we were having a party. <laughs> so. Okay. Okay. So then more biking. Yeah, more biking through those mysterious um, forestry roads, um, and then on to the big stage, um, stage three, which sort of sends shivers down my spine every time I think about it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, why? <laughs> well, it was a big stage, <laughs> um, and there was, for me, there was quite a lot of navigation that was sort of a little bit intimidating, really. Um, There's some big sections there with with not much to go on other than contours and riverbeds um, and even uh, lakes, paddling lakes at night. Uh, it's very hard to navigate. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's not much, especially in those areas too because some, sometimes you end up around cities and stuff and you can kind of spot some lights which give you some bearings, but... No, I think the best case where there's no light is to have no light on either and sort of just kind of figure it out from silhouettes. Um, so what, I mean, how do you do it then? Do you just bearing or yeah, just try and find some silhouettes or, or a little of both? Um, a little of both. It's always good to have bearing to fall back on. Um, Chris will probably tell you that's a good idea to do too sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, I'm, I, it's kind of funny because in the last you know group of, I mean, I've actually talked to a lot of of you know the God Zone people and some XPDs and and uh, the turning the lights off at night is um, I'm sure everybody's been doing it for a long time, but for some reason it's just been coming up recently. So I mean, it's a good good tip. Yeah, yeah, it definitely works wonders when you need to need to use it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, I mean, did you have problems with it with the trek, or you know, was it um, not as bad as you expected, or worse? Wasn't quite as bad as I expected, but we definitely had a, a couple of moments where we were wandering up a riverbed, and all of a sudden, the the river had on the left it was going one direction and on the right it was going the opposite direction and there was nowhere on the map that showed a river going in that direction <laughs> so I think in the end the best thing to do was to ignore it um, and just keep going but um, it's pretty hard to ignore something that's quite large going in the wrong direction yeah. like that yeah um, so yeah. Um, what are how are the maps you know, particularly where you you know that, that you were using, um, were they good compared to the ground, or were they old? Or, um, I mean, how do and then how do you deal with that with when maps don't match match the ground? 
Um, yeah, it's tricky. It's always a tricky one. Yeah. Um, these, this particular, I guess, fjordland is, is lots of parts of it have never been inhabited. So I suspect they've just been over and got some aerial photos and then because no one ever goes in these places. There's no point in sort of making sure they're right or correcting them. So I, I suspect that the um, photo, they must have been made by photogrammetry. They wouldn't have run LIDAR over them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's probably quite old um, and very featureless. And the, the rivers, um, where, it, where it was flat on the map, the rivers did lots more squiggling than they um, showed. Um, and yeah, the, I guess the, the best thing to do is just to go on the compass and stuff that you can trust where it's, where it's, um, where, yeah, where it gets a, a little bit strange. You, you can't always trust your altimeter and you can't always trust what's shown on the map. So compass and contours don't change too much. So yeah, that's true. They were the sort of things to follow. Yeah. Do you, um, like like specifically in New Zealand or maybe maybe like closer to home can you get a feeling um when you're navigating of what's right and what's wrong it, and I say that because here in the Black Hills have been you know been doing stuff in the woods for you know 20 plus years and you kind of learn um what's on the map versus what's on the ground um does that make sense? That you kind of know what what to ignore. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You sort of get used to your sort of home terrain. I, I mean, we know went over to the states and and or last year for world champs, we sort of didn't really under know like the ins and outs of the the map there and got a little bit lost um, purely because I guess I didn't understand where to trust the map and where not to trust the map. Yeah. Um, Whereas if in New Zealand, yes, it's, yeah, you definitely get that feeling. You're like, mm, everything's not quite right here. And you can kind of go on your experience of, oh, yes, that's, yeah, that's yeah. not quite sort of right. So we'll just kind of ignore that and keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what, you know, my, my always, my go-to is the paved road that we live on that goes from the highway to the small, the little small city is not on the topographical maps that we have because yeah. cause they were made in 1957. <laughs> so, <laughs> Quite a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, Okay, continue with your race. Where were we at? We were on the big, massive, scary stage. Yeah, so we yeah, paddled down the cross to Lake Hiroko, um, dark zone there again. So then we paddled down the, um, the the river with the big long name. I think it was the Wairarahiri um, River, which was pretty cool. It was sort of grade two plus rapids the whole way down, and it was pretty intense. It was, I think the flow was up a bit. Some of the guys were saying who'd paddled it before, and then it, yeah, it was across into the unknown. Um, and then we came to paddle down a lake and then up and over another range and had a bit of a disaster at one of the checkpoints. It was on a, a spot height, which 
we got to a point spot height and we were like, well, this looks about right, uh, but there's another one over there and it's not here, so we'll check that one and so on and so on. And eventually we worked it out, but I think we probably lost like two hours searching around for that thing. And we were talking about how earlier in the day how your fortunes can change so quickly in adventure racing. So we were pretty down. We were just sort of sitting around like, what do we do now? And and then all of a sudden we got it and we were back down into the river and the spirits were all high and everyone was excited and and we were, and we were away again. So that was really cool. Um, so then we paddled down and, and um, to the end of the big river and that's where the death march started um the 55 or 60k um track walk basically um with all our pack crafting gear and all the rest um back to the transition so this is where i think i think this is probably where most people's foot problems sort of um if, if they already had them, they accelerated. Yeah. <laughs> if they didn't, this is where the foot problem started. Um, I started to get a few blisters just from the amount of mud in my shoes and socks and just unable to get it sort of clean. And it was just, yeah, mind-numbing kind of walking along. And eventually we ran out of food a bit there too on that stage. Um, but it yeah. took – we started – or we. We started at, at just at dusk, um, and then we slept for a few hours, and we finished at dusk the next day. So wow. it was quite a long um, <laughs> trip. <laughs> so. Yeah, a 24-hour trek. Um, I don't care if you're walking down the highway. That's a long damn time to walk. Yeah, yeah. It sort of looked quite easy to begin with too, because there's a track, and you know we've been bashing through bush, basically traveling at sort of one and a half to two k's an hour. And the track, we're like, oh yeah, we can do probably four or five. But the track itself was well, not many people go down there, so it wasn't very tracked to begin with. It sort of opened out near the end, and it was a very easy track at the very end. So yeah. But I guess that's kind of what I've heard is is people were expecting to to get on it and, and sort of be able to relax and just and just walk and it, not what happened. No, that's right. Yeah. That's not what happened. <laughs> yeah. So, but um, so tell me about um, having to cl- to wash your feet. All oh, right. So. Um, Apparently we've got this stuff Didymo in New Zealand. I don't know if you even. I think it came from the states originally. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> now apparently it was some fishermen from the states that brought oh. it over. So the story goes. Yeah. Um, but it could be from anywhere. Because anyway, um, there's some valleys that have it and some valleys that don't. So between a lot of the transitions, we had to like we had foot baths with mm-hmm. um, detergent basically in the. Um, so that we had to step in and bins that we had to dunk our gear that got wet in um, and you just generally clean all of the, the water off ourselves so I think there might have been like 10 or 12 different Didymo stations around the place where we had to, to step into these foot baths yeah. and I mean, I've heard people say that they think maybe that was part of the reason why there was so so much foot problem because, you know, you were starting everything with wet feet. 
Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It, it seemed a little bit silly at one point. Uh, the staff made us get in there with dry socks and dry shoes that hadn't been near the water, and yeah. so we were, <laughs> had just sort of dried our feet out, and again, we were getting them wet. But yeah. I think a lot of people were being speculating that maybe the detergents and stuff sort of washed all the natural oils out of your feet as well, which didn't help the, yeah. them getting... Um, Drying out, um, yeah. But yeah, we we had spent a lot of time sleeping um, compared to normal adventure racing, and every time we did that, it was shoes and socks off. So we, we were our team were pretty good with feet problems, and it sort of showed towards the end where we started picking up teams um, yeah. near the end. Yeah. So where 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 was the team the strongest? Um, oh, we always we've always sort of been pretty good on the bikes. So I think it was the 160k bike stage. We had a big sleep before um, we started it because I mean I I needed some antibiotics because some of the blisters were getting a little bit infected on my feet and um, Anna wasn't in too good a shape. So we decided to sleep for a couple more hours and we probably should have in the end. I'm not sure, but. I think it worked out well. But, yeah, we got on the bikes and, and we sort of, I think the the biking time that we actually did was sort of like 14 or 15 hours, which is about the far, what they said the fast time was would be. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not bad. So then, so where where are we at now? So we've done the big track. We've done the big bike. Um, we got a little kayak to do. Okay. Um, yep. So got to the end of the bike and started the kayak in the dark so we were allowed to do this pedal in the dark um it was sort of like 10 o'clock at night i think or might have even been closer to 11 or 12 um sort of perception of what time it is goes out the window yeah (laughs) after a few days um but yeah my dad was actually at the transition to see us which was quite cool he'd got his yacht and sailed out and been there for two days waiting for me to turn up. <laughs> so, um, no, it was cool to see him there. Yeah. Um, but we paddled, paddled across. Um, it was hard work for me because I started to fall asleep in the boat, but eventually we got some conversation going and um, got to the hut and sort of decided, well, we're just about there. And we, we were sort of unsure as to whether the dark zone at the end of the race sort of w- was incorporated into your race time or not, or whether it, they did some calculation when you arrived to, to credit you back the time that you'd been in the dark zone. So mm-hmm. we f- had calculated that we were going to get caught by, by the dark zone no matter what. So we decided to sleep before the final trek over through Lake Heres. Um so we slept, and it was, I guess it was 2.45 when we arrived there, so it was daylight by the time we got going again, um, and it was the most depressing start ever. <laughs> we just sort of, I don't know, it felt like 800 metres an hour, but I'm sure it was more like 400. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was just climbing through all that swampy, um, just um, sort of combination of swamp and tree roots and moss and falling in holes and 
we were just so close to the finish. We just wanted it to be over in, in a way. And yeah. <laughs> but eventually we, we sort of got to the the edge of the river and, and there were some good sort of animal tracks and had some other team tracks along there. We were spotting footprints every now and then and, yeah, made our way up the river and eventually it was lunchtime and we sort of like, oh, man, we're not going very fast up here. So we were sort of hoping that, you know, we'd be over the pass at lunchtime but um as it turns out we we um were lunchtime we were not even up the waterfall part of the trek so we went up past the waterfall which was yeah that was where we probably were at a low point there the team um but we just sort of said you know we've got to keep moving um get there before dark because at this rate we're we're going to be stuck by the next dark zone the next day at the end. Um, and then, yeah, we got near Lake Harry's, um, which I've had a lot of people had trouble finding. Um, I'm pretty sure the, the the map didn't quite show that the, the contour sort of went up and then it went down to the lake, whereas the, the map should have showed it going up and then there was the lake. So there was a little bit of a hump to get over and, we sort of got to this flat part and we were like, are we too far to the left? Are we too far to the right? We should be about the right spot. Where's this lake? And we could smell a bonfire that the, the people there with the boats had, had lit. And every time we're getting a bit closer, we're sort of sniffing out the control. And eventually I just went down, you know, the 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 first thing you do when you're lost somewhere is you go to the highest point to see where you can um, relocate off. Yeah. So I went up to the highest point, but I still couldn't see above the canopy. So I did something I've never done in an adventure race or orienteering ever before. I climbed the tree um, to see if, <laughs> if I could see above the canopy. And, and sure enough, once I was above the canopy, uh, I could see the, the shape of the land and, and it just confirmed everything that, I was speculating, but wasn't quite sure of. And yeah, sure enough, it was. Let's go that direction. Um, and yep, we were straight there, and yeah. finally onto the the lake. So you know, again, it's that you go from the highest to the lows pretty quick, and the lows to the highest pretty quick. So yeah. once we were on there, we uh, were told that oh, we were asked if we were bivouac and. And we're like, no, no, the last time we knew they were six hours in front of us. So <laughs> we were pretty happy to know that we were ahead of them and paddled across the, the lake, which was pretty spectacular because it was an absolute perfect day um, in Fjordland. Um, and when we got to the end of the lake, we, we spotted another team and we were sort of like, who could that be? We only heard of about two teams in front of us. And this was a third team. <laughs> Um, yeah, it turned out that it was the, the um, Bend Racing yeah. Yoga Slackers team. And, yeah, yeah some pretty unhappy-looking faces. Um, walked just every step that those guys were taking. Yeah. Uh, well, they were pretty happy, to be fair. They always seem quite jovial. Yeah, but, the, um, yeah. they're never not uh, happy. They're just miserable. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> But yeah, the the look on Eric's face was um, quite haunting. Actually, <laughs> it was. Um, I can't imagine how much pain he must have been in every step. It, could have, it must have been an insanely painful. But yeah, I was yeah. fully impressed that they managed to get to the finish from where they were. Um, but yeah, so we we sort of that's when we 
started to to charge, we had the, the green horns, the the youth sort of the young guns yeah. ahead of us, and we were hunting them down. So we got once we got out into the open, Mitch was pretty good on the. Um, he's done a lot of hunting down in Fjordland and and stuff like that. So well, a lot of hunting in general and. He, we gave him the map. He normally doesn't usually do much navigating, but we gave him the map, and he was away, and he was just like a like a hunt away on a on a scent. He was just <laughs> off trying to find the um, get to that checkpoint, and just as we arrived to the transition, we um, spotted some lights, and then it was all on. It was basically running down the riverbed to to catch them, and. We arrived at transition with the Greenhorns, and we were obviously dark zoned at that time. So yeah. yeah, we sort of set up camp next to each other, had a good old chat, and got some sleep. It was sort of I read that Tom Spencer wrote something about it. felt like the race was sort of a bit over, and it was almost just a formality to fin the, finish the race. And I can definitely. Yeah, sort of yeah. sympathise with that point of view. That's some, some, sort of what I was feeling as well. It was like, we're just, just about here and we have to stop. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the Australian team that came second, they, um, in the second in the um, international category, they apparently had to stop like maybe an hour before the finish and on the final, on the next night. So yeah. um, that would probably be even worse than, than us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we. It was a shame we had that dark zone because uh, it was like the race was sort of on there with the green horns and. Yeah, but yeah. we had to stop and sleep and wait till morning. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, what do you? How frustrating! I mean, I can, I, I can, I can actually, I can hear it in your voice, but how frustrating is that? Just to, you just want to. You just want to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it's frustrating, but at that point in the race too, you sort of like, oh well, I've been through worse. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, it's so. just another night. We'll get to sleep in a bed the next night instead. <laughs> <laughs> It'll t- be that much better. Yeah, I remember watching. Oh shoot! Now I don't remember who it is, but they were literally. 200 yards across the river from the uh, from a from the from the TA and got dark zoned and had to sit oh, yeah. there for you know six hours. They could see the TA, so yeah, that's yeah. I don't know what would be worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess we were lucky in the fact that by this stage, this the field was quite spread out and um and and. We, as we found out later, if if it had come down to it, that we would have been credited the time there. So. Okay. So. Um, yeah. So, um, once once the dark zone lifts and you're ready to go, uh, is are you racing or is it just getting to the finish? Well, we were definitely racing. Okay. I, I know that for a fact. Um, uh, yeah, we were we were. Pretty much, I jumped in the bush uh, in the boat and, and pushed off from shore right on 6:45. They, the transition staff even counted it down for us from about 10. So yeah. <laughs> five, four, three, two, one, and jump in the boat and go. Um, and we knew that the Greenhorns were starting right beside us, so 
we, we were going to paddle hard so that they didn't sort of get a free ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, about 10 minutes in, we sort of looked back and thought, oh, the lights aren't very close. I think we're okay. But um, we were sort of still in race mode at that point and got around the corner and, and spotted yet another team that had been dark signed overnight. So um, they'd just managed to get on the the lake before the dark zone kicked in. So they had apparently they had a pretty terrible night because the the lake was quite the sides were quite steep of the lake and um, they sort of got ten minutes before the dark zone was about to kick in and thought well, there's nowhere we can camp here. So they yeah. sort of paddled back a little bit to find somewhere and then apparently just perched on the side of a sort of very steep side of the lake there for the night in their yeah. survival packs. So they were a bit slow getting away in the morning and we, we'd sort of had a good night's sleep in our tent. So we, um, yeah, yeah, got a bit of a boost when we saw them and the power went on. Um, and yeah, I think I felt like we navigated quite well to the, the end. So I, I always worry about the um, lake stages and, in the kayak navigating because you're just at water level and it's quite hard to, to yeah to yeah sort of get a, a picture of the terrain around you so um no i was quite happy that we got that and then finally we were sort of inside of the finish line and, and um it was all pretty quiet on the, the run up to the beach and as is almost a bit of a tradition, I was starting to panic about where exactly they wanted us to finish because there was <laughs> these boys and there was a whole lot of furniture and there was a big crowd there and I go, oh, I'm sure we have to go to the left. And the boat kept going right and no, it's true. We've got to go to the left. We've got to go to the left. And, and then, yeah, finally um, we hit shore and it was a bit of a relief to cross that finish line, I can tell you. <laughs> I, yes. So is it... Um... How many how many different emotions go through you in that two minutes after you cross the finish line? Ah, uh, yeah, it's pretty hard. That you sort of get that little shiver down your spine, and <laughs> then you sort of just like kind of almost can relax. I suppose we uh, know because you're navigating, you're sort of like on edge the whole time. You sort of got to figure out where to go, and then all of a sudden you just stop dead, and it's like oh. Don't have to figure out where to go next. I can just sort of <laughs> chill out now. And yep, then yeah. it's like I'm pretty hungry, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty glad to be finished. Uh, yeah, but aren't you a little sad too? Because the real world's yeah, coming. Sort of, yeah, that sort of kicks in. Definitely, the real world sort of beckons, and yeah. Oh, I've read someone else's race report and, and they summed it, I think it was Bob McLaughlin, he summed it up quite nicely. He sort of, you know, you're with these guys for, these, uh, you group of four of you for seven days through thick and thin, you know, like helping out each other out wherever and then you sort of just kind of finish and go in your, your different directions and yeah, it's all a little bit sad really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you I definitely kind of. I guess you sort of bond with your teammates quite, quite well, or hopefully quite well. Um, yeah. Especially if you race with them a few times and you, you get on with them well and stuff like that. So, yeah. But you've always got in the back of your mind that oh, yeah, I'll be able to race with these guys another day, and 
Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. So, I I could be professional and look this up, but so how did you finish? Uh, we were ninth. So yeah, yeah we at the end of TA three we were like sixteenth, which we weren't too happy about. We were sort of like, oh no, this is too a disaster, and and then yeah, we just sort of managed to power through the finish and and finished up ninth so we were pretty happy with ninth I mean it, it wasn't a perfect race and uh, how often do you ever have a perfect race but yeah, yeah. no we were we were happy and definitely learned stuff for the future for yeah. whatever that may be <laughs> yeah. well yeah um, so what uh, is uh, yeah what is the big is there one big takeaway or is it just a whole bunch of little things that you you go into your bank of knowledge um, for for me personally, for navigating, for navigating, the thing that I take will take away the most is that through that stuff where there's not much on the map and it's quite vague, it was basically you just needed to have your compass, have your compass direction, just be confident and just go hard. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas you know you can lose quite a lot of time by hesitating and not being quite sure, but in reality, all we had to do point the compass in the right direction and go hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's definitely other li- lots of little tiny things that we could improve um, so. that would add up to, yeah. A little bit, I yeah. think we probably spent a lot of time, we wasted wasted a lot of time um, just setting up the tent and, and, and that when we slept. And quite often we had maybe... I don't know. We'd sit down to sleep for three hours, and it would take us four hours stopping time. So, right. yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, kind of. That's probably the difference between maybe fifth and ninth is that uh, efficiency. But yeah, definitely. You just, just got to keep doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. Just more and more races. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, I. Ninth is pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty happy. Yeah. Right? We're pretty satisfied. Yeah. Oh, well, obviously, we'd like to do better. You always do. Yeah. Unless you get first. But, um, yeah. Yeah. No, so, we're happy. Yeah. Do you um, what get anything else planned for this year or next year? Or you guys, do the weasels have a plan for world domination? <laughs> um. I guess the short answer is, is no. <laughs> um, no, uh, I guess the last sort of two or three years that, that Mitch and Mitch and Stu were sort of like the, the backbone of the weasels. So they've um, sort of, yeah, spent the last two years, two, two or three years racing and, and getting some good experience and stuff that they're sort of feeling a little bit burnt out, I think. And Mitch was talking about retiring, but... I'm not sure if that's just a Nathan Fave retirement or yeah. um and it's true. He was talking about it during the race but um afterwards he sort of started talking like he'd be keen to go again and <laughs> Isla's um still on the mend from all the various injuries that she's got to recover from and yeah. but I mean Anna was a, a very good replacement and I couldn't think of anyone better to replace her. She just slotted really nicely and and um, yeah, worked really well with the team, and yeah. yeah. So we we don't really have any plans as a team at the moment. 
Um, yeah. But I think definitely it's not the end of the weasels. We'll yeah. definitely continue um, racing. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe God's own next year will be the the next time we appear. But I guess with this A1 series and in New Zealand starting, we might might get into a bit of that, which will reduce a little bit of travelling around the place and yeah. or just around New Zealand really instead of overseas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, any for all of us that get to the uh get to come to New Zealand once in a while to, to do a race, it's fun, but it would suck when you have to travel all the time like you guys do. So Yeah. yeah that's good. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. We're just, I guess we're used to it. That's just the way we, so, yeah. So. Yeah, it's just life in New Zealand. There you <laughs> go. outside of New Zealand. Yeah. Um, all right. So I just got really, I think seriously, only one more question. Is, is there more to this sneaky weasel gang name than what's obvious? <laughs> do you want the story on how the sneaky weasel yes, gang I do. got their name? Yes, very <laughs> well, much I do. I only got the full story recently too, actually, driving down to God's Own <laughs> this year. Um, so in Christchurch we have these sort of like three-hour or two-hour two row games on, on Wednesday nights, which is, is quite good. There's quite a good following that turn up to those. And, um, Mitch and Strew were in a team with Mitch's brother, Byron, and Mitch and Strew were a bit late to getting to the start, and, and Byron... Um, had to sort out the team administration and stuff because he's an engineer too, so he turned <laughs> up on t- time, unlike the other two. Um, and, yeah, he had to think of a team name. So um, all he could think of was the Sneaky Weasel Gang, which was a, a storybook that Mitch and Strew had when they were children. It's um, Rodney Rat and the Sneaky Weasel Gang. So... Um, yeah, so Mitch and Strew didn't actually know about the team name until um, they turned up and on the start line and, and Byron said, oh, guys, by the way, we're the Sneaky Weasel Gang. <laughs> so <laughs> like, what? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, and then, yeah, Mitch and, um, Mitch and Strew um, and Byron teamed up with um, Georgia Whitler um, to... Um, to God's own that year and they were still looking for a name and we sort of I'd raced with Mitch the year before and we'd gone through the rigmarole of getting sponsorship and all that so this year they were just like oh we just pay the entry and just do it um, and not bother about trying to find any sponsors if sponsors come along we'll come along but yeah so they're like wow we really need a team name and oh okay wow sneaky weasel gang Sounds like a good name. Let's go off that. <laughs> so, yeah, the Sneaky Weasel King was born. I love it. I think um, it's a, it's a minimally in the top five all-time great names and, and maybe better. <laughs> yeah. So, maybe, yes. maybe I'll have to run a poll. Um, what, what's the greatest team name ever in adventure racing? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, while we were out there, we, we – um, Decided on on weasel names for us all, so that entertained us for a few hours. <laughs> so, and and you are then? Well, they call me, well. I'm, I'm known for being quite a quiet person, so they sort of the weasel whisperer was sort of the name that came up with. Um, yeah. but 
Stro was calling me Tea Weasel the other day, so maybe yeah. Tea Weasel sounds a bit cooler. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But you know, that's yeah. the problem is you can't pick your own your own nickname. So that's right. You're just gonna have to see how it shakes out. So, yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we're gonna close because you're at work. I have yep. to go help Paulette. She's moving her clinic, so I got to go move a truckload of stuff. Um, right. It's been great, and I don't yeah, think nice you're that quiet. You. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you can't see me, so yeah. <laughs> Maybe so, that's why. <laughs> yeah, true. So, well, I appreciate it very much. It was great. Thanks. No worries. Okay. Okay. Uh, see you later. Enjoyed it. Bye. Bye.